Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Peony on Magazine Street. Exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts. From the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rashidi. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you live in New Orleans, you're hardly going to be surprised to hear that we're talking today about food and music. Even if you don't live in New Orleans and you've never been here, you probably still know us for our reputation for food and music. Interestingly, even though we often talk about food and music in the same breath, in New Orleans the food business and the music business are generally not related, which is one of the significant differences about my lunch guest today. Let's start with the music part of the story. I'm sitting across the table from Mishra Karshkarsh Ishvili. Mishra is a classically trained musician who came to New Orleans in 1994. A lot happened after that, but we're gonna cut straight to 2013. That's when Misha opened the doors to the largest production and post-production recording studio in Louisiana, Esplanade Studios. In the ensuing years, in a city not lacking for musical accolades, Esplanade Studios have become one of the country's most highly regarded epicenters of recorded music. A long list of musicians have beaten a path to Esplanade Studios, including Willie Nelson, Eric Clapton, Bonnie Raitt, Solange Knowles, Common, Jean-El Monet, and many more. Misha, you're a rare combination of musician, business person, and visionary. It's a pleasure to welcome you out to lunch. Thank you. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having us. Uh, and hi, Diane. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I get to interview a team. This is very cool. The uh, Esplanade Studios takes its name from the street it's on, Esplanade Avenue. Right next to the studio, around the corner on Broad Street, there's a cafe called Lamara Coffee and Kitchen. A number of things set Lamara Coffee and Kitchen aside from a regular New Orleans cafe. Firstly, its menu is entirely plant-based. They feature healthy vegetarian food, a superfood smoothie bar, a gluten-free house-made baked goods. Uh, There's no refined grains, oils, or sugar in anything. Apart from its non-traditional fare, the other thing that sets Lamara apart from other New Orleans food businesses is that it really is connected to the music business. It's not a coincidence that it's right next door to Esplanade Studios. The cafe caters to musicians who frequent the studio, plus... Also not coincidentally, the owner of Lamara Coffee and Kitchen, Diane Hang, is married to Misha. Gosh, gosh, Ishvile, the owner of Esplanade Studios. Diane, it's a pleasure to welcome you down to lunch. Oh, thanks for having us. I'm super excited because I listen to the show all the time. We listen to it actually in the back of the kitchen when it's on, but we listen to NPR every day. Oh, man, you're you're just who I wanted to talk to. This is great. <laughs> Yeah, we're Yes, there you go. (laughs) Misha, I described you as a musician, a business person, and a visionary, but I imagine there were people who took a different perspective on what you were doing when you were renovating the church that became Esplanade Studio. Uh, Music studios everywhere have crashed and burned as musicians have increasingly made Grammy-winning albums in their bedrooms on equipment that fits in a backpack. 
Building a 14,000 square foot state-of-the-art recording studio in 2010 must have seemed like something between an insane idea and a bad investment. The fact that it has turned out to be a mecca for superstar musicians who love to come to New Orleans is a vindication of your vision. But how does a world-class studio fit in to the less affluent local music ecosystem? Can you afford to keep doors open and lights on as a local studio? Or are the big budget clients an integral part of the business plan in that they subsidize the rates for local clients? So the idea behind Esplanade Studios is to be able to... Um to be able to cater to any any size of the uh, project or any size of the ensemble. So when I was building the studio, I had in mind film scoring stage. Uh, so I could actually record large symphonic orchestras, like a 75-piece orchestra, so for films or for records or any, any other type of projects. At the same time, be able to scale down and uh, cater to local musicians, anything from simple voiceovers to jazz trios, jazz quartets, and and so far, so uh, more. And uh, so basically, it's possible to uh, have large format recording studios these days and be successful at it and be able to... Uh, uh, help the local musicians to do their project and at the same time cater to the uh, old national and international uh, the stars uh, bringing their productions into the city. You know, I've been by the facility. I never really knew what was going on in there. Uh, it is pretty wild. It was, what, a Presbyterian church? Mm -hmm. Yes, it was a third Presbyterian church that was actually uh, stopped functioning as a church uh, right after Katrina. They held the service day before Katrina on a Sunday. And uh, uh, during the uh, storm, uh, building sustained so much damage so they just decided to close the building down. And it sat on a market all the way until 2010 when I found the place and kind of uh, made an offer and I was lucky enough to accept it. God, gave it a new life. The, uh, Diane, there's a theory of romance that explains successful marriages in terms of opposites attract. Uh, that does not seem to be what's going on in your long and successful marriage. In business terms, at least, your perspective seems to be equally as iconoclastic as, as Misha's, right? Uh, opening a restaurant in a mid-city neighborhood that doesn't serve fried shrimp, roast beef, po'boys, fried chicken, or pork chops seems like a recipe for failure. But apparently, traditions are changing. Uh, judging by its success, a plant-based, all-natural superfood cafe and coffee shop is evidently what the people in Mid-City were wanting. Uh, when you opened Lamara Coffee and Kitchen, did you have any kind of market research, or is this a style of food that you personally like and you just decided to go for it? Well, I think it's all the above. Um, we, you know, him and I are, we are our own customers, so we already were suffering from a lack Literally. of options for ourselves. So when we, had tra when we travel, we always would seek out restaurants that are similar to what we built. Um, so at the time when we were trying to conceive of what this project could look like, because it went through many um, development phases before we had like finalized, okay, we're going to go for it. We're going to be plant-based. Because originally we were not going to be fully plant-based because we assumed we were going to alienate uh, the customers out there. But at the very end, we decided just it was inauthentic for us to do anything but what was how we ate. 
Um, and we just went for it. I mean, I had no plan other than I thought we were going to open up and be a coffee bar. And in, in the end, it turned out we're really a restaurant. People come for our food. And uh, there's an untapped market here. And the only way to find out is sort of to sort of lean into that and just stick to your, your message. And we also found that so many of my clients are travelers. Um, a lot of people have relocated here. A lot of people, like, I don't know if you remember, like 10 years ago, there was a boom of film people moving here. Well, it's a similar thing. There's so many transplants that have moved here. And they necessarily are not um, wanting to eat traditional New Orleans food on a regular basis. So they sort of sought us out because there now suddenly was an option for them as well. And speaking of sought out, uh, what about in terms of the uh, the church and the production uh, facilities there? I guess, uh, how do you get the word out? Or is it just word of mouth in the, in the music business? It's word of mouth, yeah. Uh, uh, the, basically, I mean, we don't advertise or... Uh, and it's it's kind of uh, everything's uh, in the city. It's, everybody knows everybody, and just uh, a word spread. And if somebody's from <laughs> outside, this, uh, uh, from the LA or New York or any other place, is kind of trying to look for a production space, uh, um, I get recommended all the time. Or studios getting recommended all the time. Don't you feel like there? You get on a list essentially. I feel like with labels, once you're in with Universal, they put you in a database. It's like a Rolodex. And when a project comes through and they have an artist that is traveling through and wants to, we had Jonas Brothers here and it was their label wanted them to do something here. So when they were here getting ready for a concert, they stayed and worked on uh, a song they had been working on. So that's essentially how I see a lot of the bigger projects came to us because you get on some sort of list. Yeah, uh, record labels and uh, or movie companies, uh, basically as soon as you, uh, you establish a relationship with them, they just keep coming back to you. So at the end of the day, they're just looking for services. And well, how, what, how about an individual example? Uh, uh, did Willie just show up in his bus? <laughs> oh, totally, yeah. He, that is, he, that he, is. Yeah, he showed up with his bus, and he parked his bus on the parking lot, and he was uh, uh, he was coolest cat you'll ever well, meet, very respectful. And <laughs> just... Some of these biggest artists do roll in with their own things. We've had Eric Clapton brought his own espresso machine, when he rolled in because he had a particular way that he wanted stuff done. Yeah, he's also... I feel like Elvis sat- Costello did that. Yeah, so um, uh, the Eric brought also a satellite uh, a system that he was just watching European soccer games all the time. Yeah, they... In, in, in the middle of the recording I, sessions, yeah. I thought Eric Clapton would just show up with a slide, but he shows up with his own special machine. That is a, yeah. That's a different look I didn't get from the albums. Although he was, he was a tea drinker, primarily. <laughs> yeah, but he brought, they brought in things for their team so that no Correct. one would leave, yeah. essentially. Because, oh. Right? You keep them. Um, that's right. You, you build a compound, essentially. It's not one facility in a way. It's a bunch of studios inside a single facility. Is that, do I have it right? Correct, yes. We have largest studio, which is Studio A. That's primarily where all the big projects come together um, or uh, large recording projects. There's also Studio uh, C and D, which are privately rented. Studio C is rented to a composer, uh, arranger, Jay Waggle. And in the Studio D, we have Bruce Burrell Mastering Services. Uh, also, we have a basement that we use it for right now. We use it as a video editing suite. Uh, since we've been doing a lot of live stream videos uh, uh, for the past year due COVID, and we converted a basement into the video production room. And, and Diane, I'm wondering, you know, people go to learn to cook at like a culinary institute or such. When they come into your side of the business, uh, did they learn about 
cooking you know, using plant-based ingredients and such, or do you have to train? Uh, well, I think well, the, all the recipes were, of course, recipes. I'm not a trained chef and do not claim to be, but I had been cooking for us for our entire marriage. We never eat out hardly because it, we just can't find food that sits well with us. So we just choose to eat at home. So the evolution of the restaurant was to take recipes that I had made and learn how to turn them into something we could serve in a larger quantity, right? So you might have a recipe that you make for your friends, but now try to make it for 20 people seven times a week. It changes how you, how you know, the production of it. So I was lucky enough to find um, a kitchen person, a lead, who is similar to me, and we just learned how to replicate the menu to keep our quality there, the tostadas, all those organic spiralized vegetables. I mean, that has to be done on the spot. You can't pre-do those because then they oxidize and you lose the benefit of eating raw in the first place. So that is stuff we had to figure out how to do that. And what's the name of that person? Oh, Sam. Sam, yes, Sam. Sam's, this is Sam's favorite show. She's super excited. But, it, you know, the challenge is that it, people don't realize how much produce costs. They are used to restaurants that use grains to fill in the menu, and we don't do that. We are, everything we have is produce-based, and that is a huge factor in, um, you know, our concept, and then also that's reflected in our prices. Um, we had to create a menu that was affordable so that we know our neighborhood and what it can allow, and we try to make everything on the menu affordable. Everything's around $12, and I feel like anybody can afford a $12 lunch. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Diane Hain from Lamara Coffee and Kitchen and Misha Koshkosh Ishvili from Esplanade Studios. Well, speaking of the dollar sides of all we're talking about in here, Misha, um, what is the state of the New Orleans music scene? I mean, we always heard that we had great artists, but nobody could make any money. Um, what does it look like now, kind of pre-pandemic and and hopefully post-pandemic. Well, I mean, let's just say pre-pandemic. New Orleans musicians, they will... Uh, New Orleans is a kind of anomaly nationwide. So uh, this is the only only place in the country that musicians actually can perform five to seven times a week and make living. Uh, that doesn't happen anywhere else. Even in Nashville or Los Angeles, to forget about the New York, that's just almost impossible to do that. So there were daily gigs or weekly gigs, music, and that generated huge amount of uh, musicians who are actually primarily not the recording artists, although we do have a lot of great recording artists, but they're primarily live entertainers, and they perform uh, uh, they all the time uh, all around the town. Now, because uh, the entire New Orleans music is was uh, uh, catering to tourist industry, uh, that created this uh, um, New Orleans music uh, kind of form of New Orleans music that became very popular, and a lot of uh, European jazz festivals or the festivals all around the country start hiring New Orleans musicians. So New Orleans musicians actually were pretty busy before pandemic. They were touring, they were doing shows uh, all around, and they were just staying very busy. Now, of course, pandemic pretty much changed that dramatically. But I see things reopening, and uh, I think New Orleans is going to bounce back and musicians are going to do pretty well. And what about, we talk about the New Orleans musicians, what about the other side of the coin here, the fact that uh, we don't know where recorded music is going? Uh, 
are we evolving away from recorded music, or is there always going to be a need for what you're doing? No, it's just a form change. The recording music is not dead, and it's not going to die in any means. So the only thing that kept people going through the pandemic, staying in their home and luxury in their houses and watching the, the videos on the YouTube and Facebook or listening to the music. It's just all that recording content, music and the video. That's not going away. Uh, what happens is just people getting a notion that music for somehow has to be free. And that's get adapted by many others, uh, which they don't understand what does it take for artists to come up with the concept of recording and actually realize the recording and putting down in on, on a tape. So that has to change. That has to change. And music cannot be just the... Liz, um, background. Not necessarily background. It has to have a monetary value on it because that literally takes tons of effort and thousands of dollars for an artist to make a record. So um, I do not know what direction that's going to go and how that's going to change. But as far as the recording industry, is just not going away. No. Well, you have to also think in mind, we, we talk about this ourselves in conversation, that bands, when you look at like the Beatles, we just watched that Apple documentary about the Beatles, and they lived in a studio for months and were able to be creative and collaborate. Well, now artists come in, they have a limited budget, they want to try to cram everything in in a matter of a couple days, and that doesn't give you a lot of space to make edits and be creative because you're so more focused on your the schedule that you have. So I think... Um, that is a huge factor, too, in the creativity that happens right. now. But the creativity is kind of moving a little indifferently in, 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 in the smaller spaces. So a lot of time artists, they come in a large recording studio like ours, and they do bulk of the production there. After that, they take project in a comfort on their homes because everybody has tools and small recording setups in their houses, and they continue to be creative to fine-tune the, uh, um, the music that they have created. So just attributes and forms have changed but the concept is pretty much the same and i see misha says that uh you know you didn't have to do a lot of advertising or anything like that that's not the way that business works but diane what about your side i would think you'd have to not only advertise but convince people that this was a the way to go the, the whole idea of this diet well i have to say we did the opposite i again did what i thought was um you know, uh, the way I wanted it done for myself, the way I seek things out. And we wanted to stay sort of in the know, word of mouth. I didn't want to do any advertising because I felt that people were going to come to us if they had saw an ad and wouldn't under when they walked in, they wouldn't understand what we were doing because we didn't do takeout. We charge for takeout. It's about the dining experience. We have a lot of rules and the fact that we didn't offer any meat or any milk would could really put off some people. And so I have found that starting at a grassroots level, we started with our neighborhood and Misha's artists, and then it slowly sort of just started to pick up momentum. We're at the point now where we, you know, obviously with the pandemic sort of lifting some of the restrictions, we are a full house and we have a large space, but it's the point where we have some growing pains ourselves because people are starting to get back out and trying to eat healthier. People are enjoying our food. They're enjoying the idea. And then they're learning more about plant-based diets that, um, in terms of the planet, sustainability, these meat alternatives are out there. There's so much happening that people are kind of not fearing it as much. It's no longer the hippie tofu food. Um, people are starting to realize that plant-based foods are going to maybe help to keep them away from the doctor. 
And also it's energy thing as well. Yes, uh, energy some, for yeah, sure. Yeah, so many times I see musicians, especially uh, um, ones that are over, like myself, over 50 or so. They're, yeah, we're both over 50. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> yes. I didn't even ask that, yeah, but that's very know. good. Right. So they are <laughs> seeking for uh, healthier options, not only because they want to be healthy, but also because their the current, uh, uh, they're looking for a high energy food. It's something that they keep them going during the, let's say, in the recording process in the studio as well. Well, if you if you take a lunch break in the studio and you suddenly eat like a really, really heavy duty, heavy caloric foods, um, fried foods or something similar, uh, that will kill your momentum and it will be really hard to kind of uh, get back to it. Yeah, we believe in high vibrations. It's kind of, you know, an alternative way to think about how food absorbs sunlight and that sunlight then is converted into energy. So the more you eat foods that absorb sunlight, that will actually help your body have higher vibrations, which means you operate at a higher level. So that's part of, and there's it's a movement. It's actually a lifestyle called high vibrational diet. Now, Diana, I... Not that I'm worried about your business, but I, restaurants are a really tough thing to make money on. And you have a situation where I assume plant-based, the ingredients are more expensive this way. And yet you've got a pretty reasonable price um, price market in there around 12 bucks. Is Are there margins? Well, you know, of course, I did not know this industry beforehand. I had come from a different one, but I applied some of the rules. And then I seeked out some support from some friends. So... You know, I have learned that I made some mistakes in the beginning of kind of forecasting what it would look like. Um, that being said, you know, I'm not really making any money at this point. We're kind of... Um, we're breaking even. We're kind of breaking even, but we're not even two years in. And, um, you know, we're always kind of reevaluate, but I'm trying to keep it affordable. And, um, you know, it's it's tough. It's definitely tough. And prices are going up. I've noticed, like, just the other day that avocados are twice as much as they were six months ago. Um, but, you know, uh, and we do live above. We did uh, after, during COVID, we decided to sell our condo, downsized to one mortgage, and now we renovated and live upstairs. So we're kind of doing sort of a, um, a retro lifestyle to help kind of... Re- Your whole world is a very small space. Yeah, it is. Yeah, well, it's a compound. Cool. We take up the whole corner, but um, <laughs> it's actually quite nice, I have to say. It, it is quite nice, but we're doing okay. I mean, we're, we're doing good. We're going to try to slowly uh, reevaluate and maybe pull back for some of our takeout business, but I think we're doing good. Yeah, we're adapting to it. We're learning. We're getting better at it, uh, and it, it is a process. It's a learning process, so... so uh, f- importantly, that our friends and clients, they're just enjoying entire this plant-based thing, you know. So, so and uh, it's, it's, it feels good to be able to share our experience with them. And I, we never intended this to be like, I didn't start a restaurant to be rich, okay? So I know there's people that have chains of restaurants and that's their goal. Our mind was I wanted to be happy and do something of value and that was creative and be part of my community. And that was more important for me than trying to get rich off of food. So, well, you're going in the right direction, Dan. The thank stock you. Of, I appreciate of, it. Uh, Beyond Meat is doing very well, that stock. So you're, you're, you're ahead yes. of the curve here. They, yes. <laughs> yes, there's a new three-star Michelin restaurant that just announced in Manhattan. It was going fully plant-based yesterday. When the 21st century entrepreneurial boom started in New Orleans, the business incubator Idea Village tried to encourage people to start a business with the slogan, Trust Your Crazy Ideas. 
Having faith in a business that looks to other people like a crazy idea takes you down a path that's often walking a fine line between delusion and inspiration. It's only years later, when the business is successful, that the doubters disappear and everyone agrees that you were a visionary all along. Uh, Misha and Diane, it is not hard to understand why you're married and why you're great business partners, too. You share the courage, determination, and vision required to take bold steps and carve out unique businesses. I'm very glad to have met you, and I look forward to keeping up with your continued success. Thank you both for taking the time today to join me on Out to Lunch. Oh, thank you so much, Peter. It was a pleasure. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Misha Karshkarsh Ishveli, co-owner and lead engineer at Esplanade Studios, and Diane Hang, the co-owner of Lamara Coffee and Kitchen. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Misha's music and Diane's delicacies by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Taproom, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Taproom has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Jones Walker. Walker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Peony on Magazine Street, exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed. And at MitchellForeman.com.